0: Good morning. It is good to see you if uh, you weren't here earlier. I am Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor here at Grace and Peace Church. We've been meeting since March. It's been awesome. One of the things that you need to know about Grace and Peace Church is we have values. And one of the things that we value is something that we're going to call humility on the journey. Humility on the on the journey, a lot of us we would describe our lives as a spiritual journey. That we are kind of going through some stuff right now. And one of the things that I uh, is kind of like this, almost like a mantra. It's my my scripture, the this, the scripture verse for my life is John one twenty. It says, "I am not the Christ." And if you've been around a dry erase board uh, in which I have touched, it says that that John confessed that he is not the Christ. And what does this mean? What in the world does this mean? How are we to be humble? If I'm not the Christ, it means this. It means that I don't have all the answers. It means that this church may not be the perfect place for you. It may mean that it is not the Savior, because it isn't. There's only one Savior. I'm too ill-equipped to do it for you. And you're too ill-equipped to be the savior for other people as well. You don't have it all together. And that's okay. And here at Grace and Peace Church, humility on the journey means that we can be we can confess to being broken, fallible, we can confess to being sinners that need a savior. That need a savior. And so here's the deal. Anyone who's sitting next to you, and the one who's sitting in your chair right now, humility on the journey means that they and you are not the Christ. You're too little equipped for the job. And it means that you can be gracious and kind to those around you. It means you don't have to have all the answers. It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, uh, be everything for that person. And it allows you to actually disagree with people. If you don't have all the answers, do you know what that frees you up to do? It frees you to actually listen to somebody. Maybe they have a perspective you never thought about. Take a second and listen to what they're saying. Maybe they're not a Christian. It's important to listen and find out why. And so that's the encouragement of what it means to have humility on the journey. And that's one of our values here at Grace and Peace Church. But for now, let's go back to what we've been talking about, and that is seven signs, seven miracles, or seven ways in which Jesus shows that he is heaven breaking into earth, that he is everything that you ever dreamt of and wanted and more, and it's frightening, and it's awesome, and it's great, All in the person of Jesus. A first century Palestinian man. God come in the flesh. And then there's seven statements that he reveals that he is the Christ, and it shows that we are not the Christ. That we don't have it together. And we don't have to have it together. It is to prove that Jesus is God in the flesh. And so I come with you and here at Grace and Peace, we don't come with you and give you good advice. If you want good advice, there's some really great columns in the newspaper you can write in there, you know, dear so-and-so, I am sleepless in Colorado Springs, or, or I have really bad toe fungus. That's advice. That's what you, you get advice for. You write into the columnist or you ask your friend. But when you turn to the Bible, you don't get advice, you get good news, Good news. And so it is not advice. This is like Action 7, breaking news. And John writes about Jesus as breaking news for the world. Good news for the world. Uh, Speaking of news and television, one of the things that I was doing, and this relates to this verse here where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I can remember being glued to television for seven straight Julys. I turned into an obscure channel called Versus and I watched Lance Armstrong dominate the most grueling physical event in sports, the Tour de France, and he did it seven times in a row. And no one was even really close to him, like not even really competing with him. And you're, the entire time you're thinking this is the greatest comeback story of all time because of course Lance Armstrong had cancer and he almost died but he came back stronger. And he came back and dominated everybody. But here's the scary thing. We all know now it was a lie. It was a lie. He lived a lie. Lance Armstrong and his companions uh, believed that the only way to have the ultimate life to the true reality of the world, to have paradise, the only way we can get there was to cheat and to live in a lie. That's the only way they could get it. Tyler Hamilton, one of his trusty lieutenants, tells everything in a book called The Secret Race. And he writes, Look, I lied. I thought it would cause the least damage. Put yourself in my shoes. If I had told the truth, everything's over. Team sponsor would pull out. And 50 people, 50 of my friends would lose their jobs. People I cared about. If I told the truth, I'd be out of the sport forever. My name would be ruined. You can't go part way. You can't just say, oh, it was only me. And uh, just, it was just this one time. No, the truth is too big. It involves too many people. You've either got to tell 100% or nothing. There's no in between. So yeah. I chose to lie. I'm not the first to do that. And I won't be the last. Sometimes if you lie enough, you start to believe it. And here's the deal. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the entire world is living a lie in some form or fashion. And in fact, even if you're a Christian, you've been so trained to live in this lie and to live a life of a lie that you're just programmed by default to do it. And, you know And What does this lie look like? You're like, what is, what is the lie, Vince? It's you live your life and every bit of it in order to get what you think is your greatest good. For Tyler Hamilton and for Lance Armstrong, their greatest good was winning the Tour de France, being on top of the game, being the best at everything. And we do it too. Do you know how we do it? We do it every time we decide that we want to shop at Amazon for that one thing that's going to make me look better than everybody else. Or to have the satisfied life. Or every time your child acts obnoxiously in the grocery store and you get angry, and all you really want to do is just put them in the cart and stuff about a hundred paper towel rolls on top of them and cover them up. Why? Why is that the case? It is because we've been programmed into living this lie. We want to leverage everybody so that we can continue to save face and have the perfect life. That's the way we do things. That's the truth for us. That's the life for us. We do it with the way we look, the way we shop, the way we speak. We cover up every point of brokenness, every area where we've sinned and failed. Every time your boss or your spouse makes one critical remark and starts to chisel out that little veneer that you have, All you want to do is live the lie again and say, you're wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with you. You start pointing it back at them. And so that's the lie. And from the beginning in the Bible, the lie has been the same. We live this lie because we're programmed to think, as the serpent did in the garden, to teach us that God doesn't love you. That you're alone in the world, that you have to find your own way in the world. And anyone who gets in your way, you've got to get them. You've got to get them out of your way. They're poisonous, they're toxic people, we will say. We want to believe that the only way to paradise is the one we make. And so we live this cloak and dagger existence, trying to let everyone see just what is good on the outside, to let people know that you've got it together. No chinks in the armor. Let them believe that everything is all right. We keep up pretense from letting people get close. We never confess that we have sinned. We never confess that we're messed up or that we need help. No, of course I don't need help. I can do this myself. And we're trained to do that from a a little age, from the tiniest of ages. I have a daughter that has been buckling her own seatbelt since she was 18 months old. Why? Why? Because we're trained to live independently from God. It's the lie since the beginning. It's the same lie Adam and Eve believe, and it's the same lie that we believe every time we sin, isn't it? We're programmed to do it that way. We're programmed to believe that we can't be happy with God's authority and rules. You need to be able to realize your own ability. And so we look at this text. It is in the upper room discourse. It was a time where Jesus was having the last supper with his uh, uh, 12 closest uh, compatriots that he was discipling. He was training them. And they believe, hey, the kingdom is coming. Everything that we ever wanted. Paradise is coming. Jesus is bringing it. It's going to be awesome. And then he says something crazy. Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. And Peter's like, what you know i can see bread flying around or something jesus you know he's like jesus what do you mean you know and it's of course it's peter he's like where are you going and jesus says where i'm going you can't follow me and of course then he lets in with a little bit of peter peter says he says to peter but you know actually someday you will follow me it is understood that peter was crucified upside down Peter did follow Jesus, but he couldn 't do what Jesus was doing. you know so there they are, the twelve they 're scared they 're shaking in their sandals, wondering is God going to come through? is he going to bring them through their ultimate destination? He was going to make it par- is he going to make it paradise and they're worried you 're going to leave us, and jesus says. Okay, let me help you rest assured. In my father's house, there are many rooms, to which you're like, what do you mean? Does he live like in a giant mansion? Is it like the Broadmoor? And do I get a little house in the Broadmoor? Do I get a little servant? Is it like that? No, in the ancient Near East at that time, what happens is when anyone came into the family, they would add another room onto their house. In the middle, there was a courtyard where there would be a meeting place where the entire family would come together, and so when Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. They're like, ooh, you're adding a room for me. Cool. And he says, but then I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to dwell and live with you. And so what does that mean? It means that Jesus was going to the Father. And then he was going to do something extreme. He was going to do something. He was going to bring basically the Father and the presence of God, to them. And now we know this as the Holy Spirit dwelling amongst us, causing us to sing for joy, causing us to see see Jesus as He is. And I know it's a little confusing, and it's actually sidetracked from what we're really looking at as Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the answer to this question, and we're all wondering... We're all wondering, though, about this in our lives. How do we get to the Father? And we wonder it in little ways. For some of us, we're like, how do I get to ultimate reality? How do I find out the underlying truth about everything? Some of us is, how do I get over the all the anguish I've ever felt in my life? How do I have my relationships that have been broken made right again? How do I overcome those things? And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to ultimate reality. No one comes to paradise. No one gets to the world as it was meant to be except through him. And so if you're trying, in all the millions of ways that we all try to have paradise, apart from Jesus, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong, Jesus says. And so, let us look at the way, the truth, and the life. During the time of Jesus, there were many arguing about what was the way of righteousness. Some had taken it to mean that if you followed Torah, we were going to get there. Paradise was on the other side for us if we followed the rules. Others followed strict temple worship. If we went into the temple, if we worshiped correctly, if we sacrificed enough, then God would be pleased with us and the world would be as it was meant to be. Others went out to the wilderness, sounds really familiar to something we do today, and communed with God there and interacted with God there in order that they would find the way. and They would know God that way. For others, their way was like trying to maintain power with the Romans and become rich through trading. That was their ways of righteousness. And so to understand what Jesus uh, means by he's the way, we need to investigate a couple things. One, what is the destination? And two, how are we going to get there? So one, what is the destination? we talked about what is the ultimate good? What is the destination of the world? And the Bible tells us that the destination of the world is a redeemed world. Oftentimes we have this mistaken idea that God is going to burn up the earth, scrap it, and make you know He's going to just junk it, and then we're going to live out in the uh, nether world of uh, clouds and bouncing on them. And uh, it it sounds more like a like a toilet paper commercial I've once seen before, uh, with little bears and flying angels. But that's the thing; like a lot of us can't understand what the heck heaven is, and so we—that's what we automatically default to, but what the Bible says is that there's going to be a redeemed earth, that this earth will actually bear fruit that it was meant to bear, that it is actually going to be beautiful, we're actually going to breathe clean air, we're actually going to run really fast on the ground, uh, it is going to be beautiful in a place fit for a king. That's the destination of the earth, and I know I might have scandalized a few people in saying that. See, that's the destination of what the, where the Bible is going. And not only that, the destination is a place where God himself would dwell with his people. You would live in a relationship of unfettered love, unchained love of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where your relationships actually, actually, you got along, and not only did you get along with the person next to you, you actually love them, What kind of world is that? It's insane. But that's the world that is promised to us in the Bible. That is the world that is promised to us there. And that's where we're going. But a lot of us, a lot of us, we don't see it that way. When we think about the world, you know, like, we think, Oh, you know what would make the world really good? Is if those certain people weren't here. If those are those evil bad guys over there. And suddenly we become the judge of the world and we decide this is the world that we want. For others, we, we think what I really want is just to be happy. You know, and you, so you think about the, the, the Pharrell Williams song, you know, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. And so you just kind of have the, like whatever is happy for you. So the destination is whatever you want it to be. And if you were to ask me what does happiness look like for me in my sinful, fallen state, would be me living in a cabin by the South Platte River, fishing all day and night, and maybe riding my bike every once in a while. And, oh, there's my family, every once in a while. You see how weird and twisted that is? You're sitting there, you can laugh at me, you're like, that is a weird vision, Vincent, of paradise. But... You know, don't you have something better? You see, the Christian view, it says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. It means that you dwell with God. Ultimate reality was life with God. And we all have that longing or hunger. We want the world to be put right. We want justice. We want kindness out of people. And we realize every second when we're let down, our expectations are, are, are destroyed, that this world isn't the way it is meant to be. Give it 15 minutes, you walk out this door, and you will realize that this world is not meant to be. Drive on i-25 and have to wait for 15 seconds and, one, and just, you just pause for a little bit and you're like, "What is going on?" You know And you realize that the world is not right. And so where are we going? What is the greatest good of the world, and hopefully it is God's glory. That's what we're looking for. But how are we getting there? And today, the predominant way of getting there is through the way of freedom. That this good life is uh, one without external constraint on you. You know, and so you have to be free to do whatever you want in order that you may actualize the person inside. So, you know, you go and have adventures in order to, to uh, kind of find out who you really are. And so some people you know, spend the morning in Garden of the Gods, they go rock climbing, they jump off some cool cliffs, base jumping, in order that they can experience what really being human is like. And although some of that is true, and you can get a good glimpse of what being human is like, it isn't the ultimate thing. We also see this with relationships. So every relationship then is leveraged for you to realize and discover who you really are. And as soon as someone you decide that that person is toxic. You get rid of them. You got to get them out of your life. Or you make the convenient thing. You get a divorce. Some people have done. Because we've grown apart. Some people say. And it's sad. And that's the way of the lie. It has seeped in. It gets to us every time it tricks us you know it, this become, freedom then becomes the f- supreme referent for our life that is the way we try to do things we try to be our own leader and so we say little f- phrases every day we like you be you you just do you follow your heart because who you truly are has got to be free on the inside no constraints but if you were to live that way truly, you'd ruin a lot of people around you. Uh, we see this in the movies all the time. Uh, I could go into the recent Star Wars movie, but I'm not going to. Uh, I was watching Captain Marvel uh, the other day where there's this supreme intelligence, and you zo- zoom into the supreme intelligence, and it was supposed to keep you captive, basically. Um, and it was supposed to you know, keep her powers in check, Until she decided, no, the true me is stronger and I needed to defeat this supreme intelligence. And she defeated the supreme intelligence and she was free to be whoever she wanted. So you see this in the movies all the time. They're saying, what you really need to do is be free and the true you is deep inside. But is that true? Jesus says that he is the way. You know... Eastern religions will say the way to discover the real you is through self-realization which sounds a lot like our, our world today. You need to realize who you really are and it's God existing within you under all things. You need to become enlightened or in the Buddhist way you need to get rid of all your attachments. Attachments are bad. Relationships are bad. But you know you can't live without Him. All your relationships make you who you are, isn't it? That's how you realize who you are. I am a son. I'm a father. I'm a child. That's how you realize the way, the way you are. And so Jesus says He's the way. The way is that He's the supreme referent for life. You need to have a relationship with Him. And then, this is the supreme attachment. It is not you go out and do whatever to realize the God in you, but it is that God has come to you in the person of Jesus Christ and has died for you in order to make paradise accessible and available. Many of us are trained to live the lie, though, that we have to realize it ourselves. One of these such persons was a guy by the name of Christopher Johnson McCandless. He was a successful graduate of Emory University, was going to go out and become a, uh, a lawyer at one time, but he wanted to discover God and interact with him primarily in nature like Thoreau did at Walden Pond. His father was a successful rocket scientist, and he was going to discover who he truly was by going to Alaska. So... At the end of college, he gave away $25,000 to Oxfam. And then he changed his name to Alexander Supertramp and started tramping around the country, having experience after experience, getting rid of every attachment that he could possibly have so that he could go to Alaska and realize who he truly was. In the end, he ended up dying of starvation. And the way that we remember him is was all these little beautiful interactions, all these little relationships that he had. And they remember him, and they've recorded it into a story called "Into the Wild." Do you know how, where, Alec, where Alexander Supertramp? Chris McCamless was the most human? Where it was the way was through relationships, through attachments through having real interactions. And so for Chris McCandless, the way was not going out into into nature to discover God. But for Chris McCandless, and for you and I, the true way to experience life, to realize who you are, is through interaction with God. And Jesus Christ says the only way you get to ultimate reality... The only way you get to experience paradise is not through just nature. It's not through experiences like jumping off of a bridge and letting a parachute go. It's not through summiting 14,000 foot mountains. The greatest experience that you could possibly have to realize who you are is through interaction with Jesus Christ. He is the way. And the way is dependent not on you and your performance, but on Jesus. And if that's true, then you're free to be imperfect. If the way was dependent on Jesus, then you're free to be limited. You're free to be ordinary. You're free to have kids that scream and cry in public. You know, you're free to have torn jeans. You're free to have a jalopy of a car. You don't need all this other stuff. You can confess your needs. You can confess your sins. You can confess your shame. Because in the end, your performance doesn't get you paradise. If you trust in Jesus as the way, your failures don't get you kicked out either. People can be, can't, won't just be instruments for your happiness. You can actually be happy for them, and you don't have to use them. People, your neighbors... Your family members can just be free, free from performing for you too. Jesus is the way. And next, Jesus is the truth. And so Jesus is God's covenant faithfulness. It is that God is true to his promises, that he was going to show up, he was going to be their God, and he was going to be their people, they were going to be his people. For Jesus to say, I am, he has taken upon himself the identity of the true king, the true God. He is the promise of God gone public. He's the presence of God gone public. He's the presence of God made huggable. He's the presence of God made kissable. He's the presence of God made killable. He's the truth. He's all of reality. And someone might be turned off. They're saying, oh, come on, man. Vince, everyone ought to be free to decide for themselves. Every way can be defeated. I can give you arguments why you're being so dogmatic right now and narrow. All ways are valid then. And at the same time, do you know what you're doing? By denying me my one way, my one conviction, at the same time, you're telling me that I ought to endorse your conviction. You're universalizing something in the same way that I'm universalizing something. So do you know what you've just done? You've just shot yourself in the foot. So either your way is correct or my way is correct, but I think we need to sit down and talk about it. Always can't possibly be, be equal because they will end up fighting in caving in on each other you see you have to universalize your view in order to say that that jesus isn't the only way he isn't the only truth and some other people might be saying oh vince come on man you're just talking doctrine you're telling you you're just saying you need to know these set of truths about jesus about you know what this is the this is what you need to know be true What you really need to do is experience God. You need to experience God out in nature, and then you will know the truth. You'll experience the truth. And so I'm not saying that experience is bad or that it's better than doctrine, but doctrine works in the way a map does. Okay? I can experience the coastline by being there, but I have no idea how to get there without a map. And so a lot of ways, doctrine works as a map to show us what is true. And so doctrine matters. And at Grace and Peace, doctrine will matter. We need to know true teaching. Why? Because how else are we going to get to experience this personal God? So it works like a map, as C.S. Lewis said. Uh, The other day I read this story about a 35-year-old woman, she's a physical therapist, and of course the first thing you might be ringing in your brain is like, I know where this is going, this is a millennial, this is going to be crazy. Um, So she's a physical therapist that got lost on a hike, and the way she got lost on a hike is because she always followed her intuition or gut feeling, and now you're saying, yeah, now this definitely sounds like a millennial. Um, uh, I'm 36 and so she's 35 years old and she figured she had the whole day to herself she'd go for a three mile hike, spend a couple hours in the woods and realize who she was and then go back but the way that she was going to take this hike is that she began to follow a voice she got out of the car at the trailhead and she heard a strong voice say, go left, go right then after about three hours, she realized that she was lost by the voice in her head had brought her anywhere but where she meant to go. So she had no phone, no map, no GPS, no way to communicate with anyone. And so she was lost for the next 17 days and lived on water out of rocks and berries in Maui about being trapped in paradise lost because she decided she didn't have a map that the only truth that she needed was the truth and the voice inside her head and tell me that isn't a metaphor for our world today the only truth i need is the truth inside my head and what we need to realize jesus says if you're dealing with any other truth besides me you're going to be lost you're going to be lost. So for 17 days, we need to realize that our gut can lie to us. And we need to learn to hear the truth instead of the voice of the lie. For some of us, our truth, we, need to, we, we will say things like, I need to have this job. I need to get this job. And you'll sacrifice your entire family for it. Jesus says you're going to be lost. And so how do we hear this voice more correctly? How do we see the truth? It's through kind of normal, everyday things. Bible study, worship, be in a city group, sing songs, pray, come to Sunday worship. That's how you hear the voice. That's how you experience God. That's how you realize who you really are. That's the truth. That's how we get to the truth and see the truth is in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he says that he is the life. And this is eternal life that Jesus will say at the end of the Upper Room Discourse, that they know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And when he talks about the word know, it is not like intellectual knowing. Remember, like I said, there was one diff- there's a difference between knowing doctrine. I know people who know doctrine better than me, and they have the stalest Christian life I've ever seen. Why? Because although they have followed the map to Christian doctrine, it has led them into a mirror, and all they do is follow themselves. And so it's this really just giant talking head instead of actually following and experiencing Jesus Christ. He's the truth. And to know is to experience and to love the same way a husband loves a wife or a wife loves a husband, it's like that. You commit yourself to this person. And where they go, I will go also. And so God says, I commit myself to these people. Will you commit to me? And this is what is known as covenantal love. Covenant is a, is a relationship in which God establishes and he, he's, the, he's the one who, who guarantees it by his own life. And so, and so he's the life. And we're all thinking about life in different ways. So, so here's the thing. Life, according to the lie, says you have got to make yourself approvable. Keep yourself looking good. Keep all, all appearances. But life, according to Jesus, says, Jesus says, I love you so much I'll die for you. The life according to the lie says have the perfect kids, have the perfect wife, have the perfect husband, and have all the Instagram posts to, pu- to prove it. Jesus Christ in the life of truth says this, I've given my life up for you so that you may have real life, and the cross is the ultimate way to prove it. Uh, last year, 12 young men from a soccer team and their coach journeyed three kilometers into a cave. And when they tried to turn around, they realized that the entrance to the cave and where they were had flooded from monsoon rains, and it was going to be weeks or even months before it receded. They lived in utter darkness, and they were cut off from life. And so it took time before they figured out where they were. They knew then they were in the cave. And they sent people in to rescue them. But they needed to find someone who would know the way in, know the way out. And it was so dangerous, you can't even have scuba gear because it was so narrow in these places. And it was, the, water, the water was so muddy, so murky, you couldn't see more than five inches before your face. And it was dark. There was no way these kids were going to get out. No way. And so someone had to come and get them. Someone would have to risk their life to get them and lead them out. And so after 17 days of living cut off from life, divers finally did the daring. One person would lose his life in exchange for theirs. And they guided them through the darkness, through swirling currents, where they could have gotten lost underneath in the cave forever. One person lost his life for those 12. And that's the story of the gospel, is this, that Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, knows the way out and went deep into the cave so that you could have life and get out. His life was exchanged for our life. And that's what we celebrate at the cross. And what we celebrate at the resurrection is the truth that He has given us new life and we enjoy it with Him. He's gone through the darkness. And He has given us the way, the truth, and the life in Him. Nobody gets to ultimate reality Nobody gets to the truth. Nobody gets to paradise unless you've dealt with him. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving God. We praise you as the Lord of life, the one who has given it to us, not because we have proven ourselves, not because we've got it all together, not because we've got perfect kids, not because we've got the perfect marriage, but Lord, you have given it to us in Jesus Christ. It is not us get to God, but the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ is that God has come to us. God has come to us. So Lord, now as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, your supper, your meal, I pray that we will proclaim in faith your goodness, your kindness, and your mercy to us. And I pray that you would nourish our faith to know that we don't have to live in the lie anymore, but we can live in the light of truth because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have access to the Father Access to paradise now because Jesus lives in us through the power of your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. The Lord be with you. you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. At grace and peace, we come forward through kind of like these aisles ish. Come forward and you are offered bread which symbolizes and signs God's broken body for you, his life for your life. You'll take that bread and you can eat it. There's gluten-free up here. And then you're given wine or juice. Juice is on the outer ring. Wine is on the inner ring. And it is offered to you as a sign of God's life being poured out for your life. And you are to take it if you believe he's the way, the truth, and the life. That it is yours. It belongs to you. Because he freely gives it. Because he loves you. But if that isn't your confession, if you, don't, if, if you haven't done interactions with Jesus, if you're not sure yet, if you have strong doubts, you can come talk to me. But if that is your confession, come and take and eat. But if it isn't, we don't want you to do anything inauthentic to where you are. Let it pass you by. There isn't anything magical or mystical happening. But come and see. Because here, believers taste and see that the Lord is good. And that paradise is offered to all those who trust in Him. A new way. A way out of the lie. You don't have to live that anymore. So let us proclaim our faith is signed and sealed in this sacrament. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink as often as you do in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread, and we drink this cup, we proclaim his death until he comes again. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would nourish our faith as signed and sealed in these sacraments, that we would remember it is by grace and grace alone, and it is not by our doing, our performance, who we are, who we've made ourselves, but it is because of your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, and your love that that is the way, that that is the truth, that is the life, and it is Jesus Christ alone that we have these things. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.